Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I see Seem fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 216, the first episode of the new year, and it truly is, because I'm recording this on January 1st. So it truly, truly is. And this is the first, you know, I gotta tell you guys something. I was, I was thinking today. Oh, by the way, this episode today is brought to you by Quip. We will talk about it later. Business up front. Let's just get the business up front. I'm going on tour next year, but I don't know when, I know where, but I don't know how, because I don't know my life, waiting on some stuff, who knows. Got a lot of things in the fire, as usual, will people say yes to them? I don't know, that's the kind of terror I live in, but touring is the backup, and always what I do for a living, but since I don't have a lot of new stuff, well, I have cities to go to that haven't heard my stuff that I did last year. Am I in the mood to tour? Eh, Not really. I kind of want to stay home. I kind of want to stay home just for a little while. So I'm doing like a few dates here and there at the beginning of the year just to like keep my feet wet. And uh, before any kind of like, oh, I'm hitting 12 cities in a row. Before any of that, and that'll be in the spring and summer. Before any of that nonsense, this, uh, this is what I got going on. East Coast. East Coast and a little uh, Midwest. New York City and back at Caroline's. Like, Jen, you were just in New York last year. I know, but I can get a paycheck and it was easy to do. (laughs) So I'm going back. Caroline's, look, you haven't seen me at a comedy club. It's totally different than seeing me in front of adoring fans. You could see some shit go down. Or you could just, who knows. But it's going to be, you've probably seen some of this material before. So I can't say it's new stuff, but whatever. If you like me, you'll come see me. And uh, I'm not doing those paid meet and greets anymore. I I think you noticed I stopped doing them at the end of the tour. Just for me, that particular company didn't, it didn't work for me. It wasn't that they were paid. It was that what it was, was not what I thought it was going to be. And I didn't like it. So someday 
maybe I'll charge a little extra for a little like pre or post show party. But to me, it's just like, you know what I mean? Um, but I will be after the shows at Caroline's like signing books. I'll, I'll sell books and all that kind of schmaltzy magaltzy. Okay. So Caroline, so what are the dates, Jen? Well, why don't you go to my website? I'm never going to. Oh, I know. JenKirkman.com. Click on tour dates. But if you won't do it, well, that's why you have to buy the tickets. I mean, I can't, I can't buy them for you right now using my mind, but I'll be at Caroline's five shows. Thursday, January 18th through Saturday, January 20th. Some nights I have two shows. That's how that works. Then I'll be in London. A lot of the shows are close to sold out. Some of them are like only a couple seats left. Some of them are more than a couple. I would love to get a couple sold out shows on the books before I get on that plane. Oh, people. People don't make me break even on this trip. I The ticket prices are pretty low. Like somewhere just like nine pounds to 18. Look at me speaking the international language of money. Uh, that Soho theater, this is material folks that you did not see on Netflix and you have not seen me do in London before. So you have got no excuse not to come enjoy the live performance of someone who is flying a 13 hour flight to see you. It's actually 11 hours. Um, what is it? Soho theater. Yeah. Monday, January 29th through Saturday, February 3rd. What show will be the best? I don't know. I don't do different things at each show, so that is up to the gods and goddesses. But I will tell you, Monday, Tuesday are when the reviewers come, so I'd like you there laughing. And Friday, Saturday is when the drunk people come and everyone's having a good time. So whoever you want to be, I'd say probably Wednesday and Thursday are generally people don't feel like going out in the middle of the week. Those shows can be eh. I mean, I'm still fantastic, but the vibe is eh. So maybe you want to go to those shows and change the face of the eh midweek vibe. There's something for you on every night. So come to that. Uh, there's no official meet and greet after. Sometimes they don't have any space in the theater to put me after the show. And they might be like, if you want to meet your fans, just go to the bar. I don't do that. It's too loud, bad for my voice. Too much. I don't. You can understand why a woman by herself doesn't want to suddenly go into a bar with 150 people she doesn't know. So, uh, but I, I'm in, encouraging them to have a little space for me after uh, I'll sign your book and I'll say hello. So I'm always happy to do that. I think that that is nice to do when uh, meeting people, especially coming from another country. I'm, I'm always excited to meet you guys. So I'm going to try to make that happen. It's just not nothing official, um, but you'll probably be able to find me after the show for sure. And I'm hoping to if it's cost efficient, uh, travel with some books and some light merchandise. So, uh, you can buy stuff after the show, I hope. Okay. Um, what next? Oh, Buffalo back in Buffalo. I bet this is my third time there at helium comedy club, February 22nd through 24th, five shows, all tickets on sale. Now Bloomington, Indiana, back at the comedy attic, March 8th through March 10th, five shows on sale. Now, and Vermont Comedy Club, back again, Thursday, April 5th through Thursday, April 7th. It's been a springtime. Get those markets out, those farmer's markets out for me. Um, five shows. So those are all on sale now. I would love, I would just adore if you bought tickets in advance. Don't make, I hope this year isn't going to be another year of pulling teeth. That's why I kind of don't want to tour. It's just so hard to get people to know about shows. I mean, it's not hard. It's just that people won't, 
They just won't join the email newsletter. I'm people like almost 500 people unsubscribe this month. I'm like, thanks guys. <laughs> Listen, I do what I can. You don't want to just go to my website. But here's what people do. They, they, they go, they don't go to the website and then they tweet me. Are you coming to Denver anytime? And I go, yeah, I perform there all the time, but I don't have it booked right now. And then they just flake off and then I'll book Denver and I'll, you know, somebody was like, every time you come to Columbus, I'm always working. And I'm like, oh, well, see, in 2019, they're like, wait, wh- why not this year? I'm like, well, I was just there a month ago. They're like, you were? I'm like, okay. I thought, I thought that person was, I'm like, you know, they, they said they at least knew I'd been there before, but they didn't know I'd just been there a month ago. They said, how did I not know? I, I don't know you guys. I don't know how you stay so out of the loop. I legit don't. You literally, we have computers in our pockets. And I know I sound like an old lady, but I am an old lady. How did I find out the cure was playing uh, every time they played? How did I find out? I had a rotary phone and a radio, a radio, not Sirius XM, a local radio. And I had the newspaper get my hands, I get ink all over my hands. I found out. I found out. I don't know what's wrong with you people. I don't know. You can also join bands in town. They send you all kinds of alerts, which is probably annoying, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What do I mean to do? Call you? All right. Listen, why is, why is the new year already starting out this way? I'm optimistic. My whole point is, actually, this is the first time that just because of the way my career has shaken out, uh, where I'm like, ooh, I don't know what's coming this year, this actually... January 1st feels like the beginning of a new year because like everything that I did last year is done. Like my necklace line is done. My tour is done. I don't know if they're going to give me another Netflix special. I don't have a good feeling about it. I'm going to be honest. Um, I know I would find it absurd, but you know, they got a lot of people now. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff I'm working towards. That's new stuff. Always new on the horizon. Don't get upset about the Netflix thing if it doesn't happen because remember, I never used to get a Comedy Central special and then Netflix was invented. There's all kinds of things. And I might not want to do... For me, honestly, the specials are a great paycheck and that's why I do it with Netflix. You can be like, oh, you can design it yourself and go with other things. Oh, I know that. But the paycheck from Netflix was like, you'd kill yourself to get that paycheck. So I'm saying like, you know, I know what I can do. I want that money. And without that money, uh, I'm not interested in producing my own... (laughs) Because honestly, what Netflix, the, the advantage of being on Netflix is it's worldwide and they have an algorithm and people find you and they help people find you. Now, what was interesting, though, is, is so many new comedians were found this year that audiences started dwindling because they have so many new people that they want to go see now. And then also they can just stay home. So it's sort of like we, you know, the medium is its own monster and we don't know what the future will bring, you know, like. It's this weird psychic energy where like, you're just sitting at home, I'm me too, and we're like, what new technology will come out? You know, we wouldn't have imagined years ago we're watching TV on Amazon, that we could somehow put that on our television proper, right? So, but then like our marketplace determines what they do next. And like, we're sort of all informing each other on this like energy level. And so I don't know what's next for streaming and for comedy. I'm going to just... Be, as Anna Wintour says about fashion, slightly ahead of it and slightly behind it. No, slightly in the moment, 
but not too far ahead, not too far behind. Something like that. Whatever she says, I got the, I got the gist. And so that's what I say to you is for me, I'd really love to do like what's on my mind this year is like an off-Broadway show sometime. And I really think my show I wrote years ago that you saw some of it, some of you have seen it because I did parts of it on certain tours is a show about growing up fearing nuclear war. And since I keep reading, we're like about to have one tomorrow. I feel like it could be timely. Ugh. Um, so uh, anyway, well, that just wasted time. I have so much to talk about today that I basically could record five episodes in a row and I've organized this whole thing. Anyway, thank you everyone who supported me last year by listening to the podcast, by supporting the sponsors on this podcast. Now, don't forget that the only way the people that sponsor this podcast know that you came to them through me is to use all the offer codes and stuff. And that's why they keep advertising. So just make sure you always do that. Thank you for supporting the necklace line. I saw a lot of, I mean, I haven't got my sales numbers yet, but at least on social media, it seemed like a lot of people were buying necklaces for their loved ones for Christmas. Lots of dudes buying their wives necklaces, which I loved. And um, thank you for supporting my tours. Those of you who are dedicated and they know where to find me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You literally have given me a life that I never dreamt that I would have. I remember when I would blog on MySpace and if like a hundred people read it, I'd be like, wow. And, uh, I continue to be amazed and grateful. And it's weird when things become so normal that you're like, oh, I have hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter. And it's like, Jen, that would have blown your mind years ago. But at the same time, you can't live in that. Ah, oh, shucks. It's like, well, yeah, but since then I've established a career and it's not like wild. So then you start to get into the normalcy of it and you start to be like, well, actually, is that a lot considering how much exposure I've had? So it always changes. And I don't mean in a negative way, like you're never happy. I, feel, I hate that thing where people are like, you're never going to be happy if you set goals because you'll keep chasing the next thing. It's like, sure, but there's a healthy version of that where as your business keeps growing or your reputation or whatever it is you do, you have to... Like, let's say you are, uh, you run your own plumbing business. So you have one customer who's very loyal and it pays the bills and, and you're doing great. She refers you here and there to some people and you make a living. You're like, wow, this is great. I am a successful owner of a plumbing business. And I think you're also the plumber in this scenario. Because where you're coming from is, is a year ago having not had that. So you're like, wow, this is pretty amazing. Now, five years later, if you have 10 more clients, they're steady, things are going well. Now you have a shop. Uh, you're like, this is amazing. And then, but it's okay at that point to go, oh, wait, I'm 10 years in, I'm 10 years more experienced. Am I where at the 10 year level, am I exactly like, could it, could it be better so that I can have more job security so that, so you, you have to take stock in it. But to be like, nothing make, to be like, I'm not going to be happy until I have a million fans. Well, that's dumb because you're, you're just, you're saying some arbitrary thing. Like I'm going to have happiness when this happens. You, you don't know that, but to say, I will be at the next level of my business plan. If this happens and that's okay to say, we're just talking, don't put your happiness on it for the love of God. Um, speaking of which I'm really loving, um, Dan, Harris's uh, new book, um, Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics, his original book, 10% Happier, is his memoir. 
about getting into meditation. And as he said, he thought everyone who read it, who wanted to meditate would just start. And then he realized, oh, people need more guidance. But uh, if you think it's just a book about like, here's how to, it's totally not. He goes on a road trip with his very studied friend and it's really cool. And it's again, great stories. It's like more stuff that wasn't in the memoir. It's, it's, he's really funny, really down to earth. And I did his podcast once called 10% Happier. So you can um, listen to that sometime if you want. I did it last March. So it's, it's up there in podcast land and his name's Dan Harris and I love him. He's a ABC newsman who had a panic attack on air years ago. And he says, you can still see it on YouTube if you want. And he got into meditating uh, for panic disorder. So it's really cool. And he was doing, you know, drugs and stuff and you know, meditation, not a drug addict though, but, um, he had sort of an adrenaline addiction cause he used to like cover wars and stuff. And so the partying got harder and you know what I mean? So he was always in a state of adrenaline. And so anyway, it's very interesting. I love the book. That's what I'm reading right now. If anyone was like, what's she reading? Well, didn't you just get your answer? Okay. I, I know we're done with the holidays. Your, your tree, you've abandoned it on your lawn. Just like you gave us so much joy. Now get the fuck out of here. you you just seem like clutter now. Now, this is what people think I'm a, um, uh, you know, in these LA people, everything's plastic and you have no soul. My tree. Well, okay. I sold the tree I had last year, but I sold it to a lovely couple and they're very happy, but I had a new tree this year that's smaller. So my fake tree this year, I'm looking at it. I'm loving it. And I think I'm going to keep last year, you know, I didn't tell you guys, but I mean, I told you since, but during last year, I didn't tell you that on my breakup, December 28th, I all my decorations were down by the 29th. So this year I'm like, F it. I'm keeping them up longer at the same time. And again, you'd be like, what do you live in a mansion? Because I'm doing this like home organization thing. Again, it's a two bedroom, two bathroom condominium, but it's, I have a woman who, uh, I don't have her come over blind and, and I don't just go fix this, but I'm like, okay, look at this closet. How can I organize it? And I want these bins to match that. And then she'll be like, Oh, got it. And she measures. I'm like measuring things. What a concept. I still can't do it. I know how to measure. And then you get the measurements to the, please, I please. And she'll go to the containers are for you and she'll put it all. And so I'm purging. I'm like, I'm giving so much to goodwill. They probably think I'm about to kill myself. I'm purging. And yet I'm like, I still feel like it looks like I have too much stuff, but it doesn't. I mean, it, Everything is so organized. And what I love about doing that before you put the Christmas decorations away is that I've had her rearrange some art on the walls. So everything looks new to me so that when I put the decorations away, I don't suffer from that. Oh, it doesn't look special anymore. Like I kind of did this cool overlap. Um, so that's kind of cool. I'm like taking the time in January to like get my home together and all that kind of thing. So anyway... Um, but I do have to do because that me narrating a Hallmark movie, which you guys must be really into me because you liked that way too much. <laughs> it was so shitty. It was so shitty. Don't email me and be like, no, I'm one of the people who thought it was shitty. I got it. I assume some people thought it was shitty. The issue was you cannot watch thing for the first time and comment and then make funny comments. You have to watch it once know what it is and then assume that the person watching 
listening is watching along and then you just say funny things. This is hard because I know some of you weren't watching along. Whatever. Look, we all did our best. But my point is that was supposed to be a bonus episode and it became a regular episode. So I have like backlogged holiday stuff to get to. So in perfect, I seem fun fashion. The new year, we're still going to be talking about the holiday, but don't worry. It's going to be, you know, it's not going to be annoying if you're like, my God, my holiday depression just lifted. Stop it, Jen. So um, I got to tell you something. So, you know, I reclaimed New York and all that. And you know what, really, what I did, and it was a dangerous proposition, was I got caught up in the story. And I always say, and they say in Buddhism, you know, drop your story, drop your story. Well, what does that mean? And I wrote an article about it in The Guardian UK, if you want to read that. If you just Google Jen Kirkman, Guardian UK, Christmas, I think a recent article I wrote should come up. What I mean by that is like, and, and again, let the but let any Buddhist text tell you better is like, let's say you lose your job. That's the story. You lost your job. That's literally the only thing that's happening. It doesn't say anything about tomorrow. It doesn't say anything about your dependability, your talent, your future. It seems that way, but the story that you tell yourself could be, and I'm never going to get another job and I'm going to die and I'm not going to be able to retire. And everyone thinks I'm a failure and blah, blah, blah. Like, That's not true. Those are stories you tell yourself. Even if they end up being true, you don't know that now. So so I kind of like, to me, I was like, won't it be a good story? And I don't even mean a story to tell you guys. I just mean the story that I've attached to in my own heart is if I go back to New York and it doesn't bother me and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, that would be. And then once I'm there, I'm like, oh, I didn't need this. And didn't need this to feel better. I did write like all that week. I was in major rewrites on my script, which still we have not handed into the network yet. Whatever. We won't know if it's going to be made into a pilot until the end of January. But um, there's still w- way more rewriting to go. And you, I know you're like, well, how much rewriting? It's just when you only have 22 minutes to tell a story, it actually is harder than you would think. Um, in the pilot to be like, this is who this person is. This is who she used to be. This is who she's going to be, but don't worry. Um, she won't change completely. And then this, and then that's what the plot is. But then sometimes she says funny things. And then the friends, there's like too many people. It's just a lot. There's a lot of people in the show. So anyway, um, what was my point? Oh, I did. So I did a lot of writing. And this whole notion of, oh, I might feel sad about my breakup. I didn't. I haven't felt sad about it. The ways in which I feel sad about it have nothing to do with like, I wish I was with him at Christmas. It's like enough stuff has gone on where I'm like, oh, these are his issues over here. Does that work for me? Oh, it might not. If he dealt with them, it might work for me, but he's not there yet. And well, why do I even think that I would want him or am I looking for something different? Like, So uh, like, I don't live in the fantasy anymore of like, because I was happy last year, that's what it should be like this year. It's like, take it apart. What did I learn this year? What did I learn about myself and my needs? What did I learn about him and his limitations? Um, Could it work out when we're 50? Maybe. Does he even want that? Probably not. Do I want that? I don't think so. I don't know. Like no one knows. I just want to be happy no matter what's supposed to happen to me. So I'd already gotten to that point. So going to New York, like I already knew wasn't going to make me feel sad because I've been there all fucking year. But it was still nice to do. I, I needed that weather. Um, it was it was just something I needed to do. So it was good that I did it. You know, my credit card might not be happy with me, but I did it. So um, what was my point? Oh, so the hotel. Okay, so my whole point about it was 
I just want to do nothing. Like I did nothing on New Year's Eve and it wasn't like, oh, she's single. I I just realized I've been to three New Year's Eve parties in my life. One of them was a dinner with 10 people and I'm 43 years old. I don't do New Year's and I never have. I look back to even the years I was in relationship. I'm like, nope, didn't do anything that night, didn't do anything. Like I just don't like it. And I don't even mean like, oh, it's amateur hour. I just don't enjoy it. I don't know the, it, I don't, you guys ever been in a long distance relationship? I remember like one of my exes, I had moved to New York before he did. And he was still in Boston. So we had some months of long distance and we'd plan like two weekends a month to hang out. And wouldn't you know it, sometimes when that weekend came up, as much as you loved him or he loved you, you just like weren't in the mood to have to do anything that weekend. Like you didn't even want anyone in your business. And that's like, do I want to go to a party and talk to friends and have some drinks? Of course I do. Why do I have to want to do it on that night? Like I, I love my life. I don't know. So in a weird way, like now my birthday, I might be a little more inclined to get like, ooh, ooh. But not always. Just depends on where I'm at that year or whatever. But with New Year's, it really does seem like a time to rest, rejuvenate, maybe do some home organization. And party and feel hungover doesn't quite fit to me. It's not how, like this morning I got up and I went on like a 90 minute hike. And it's a hike that like my, my panic attacks have been kind of coming back this year, which sucks. I think it's just all the trauma of Trump and all that stuff, like just getting into my soul um, and change and any kind of change can make you feel, well, I don't feel anxious. I'm just panic attacks are a different thing, but being on this mountain alone, uh, even though there's tons of people around me, like it can actually make you feel like vision, like panic attacks are very physical. So sometimes it's even if you're, eye line in a, I don't know how to explain it, but if you're looking over a horizon a certain way, it can like induce a panic attack. So anyway, when I'm on this hike, I can sometimes start to get the beginning of a panic attack and I'm like, fuck. And so I have to like do my breathing and talk myself down and like feel that wave of adrenaline and let it go and just not let my thoughts start going. You're alone on a mountain. You're going to die. You have to get out of here, but how can you? Oh my God. You have to tell someone you're going to look crazy. Like I have to do all the work. And that in a way, and it, and it happened this morning, I had like a mini one for a second and then I overcame it and I was like, oh, cool. Like that, I know that sounds like not fun, but in a way, like doing stuff like that, like I had avoided hiking this mountain for a while by myself. I say mountain, it's a canyon, but it's, it's one of the more open ones that, um, it doesn't scare me like in a fear of heights way. It's just like, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's a fucking panic attack. What can I do? Anyway, getting down, like I just, for me, it was like getting up early and hiking when no one else was on the road is the joy of New Year's in a giant city like LA. Nobody's around. And so that's what I wanted to take advantage of. I really don't feel like, I don't know. And just the false thing of like, woo, that year's over. It's like, no, it's not the same shit tomorrow. Like it sort of doesn't go with my spiritual beliefs, which is like everything is horrible and everything is amazing all at once. And there's no black and white. There's no, the year's over. Now we're this. It's like, no, it's not true. It's not suddenly better because it's not the same year that Trump did something or that this person died or that there's this hurricane. Like it's all the terrible and the wonderful all at once. So for me, it's like, it just doesn't feel natural to like celebrate the clock turning at the same time. I recognize that 
there is um there is a world I don't run it other people do have things that go by the calendar year I'm part of it so in a way yeah my life does begin again in January in a lot of ways so for me I like to kind of be reflective about the year I just had if we're marking things from what happened from January 1st to December 31st 2017 well I'd like to take it all in and so last night I stayed in and I made what I call a list of miracles that happened to me. And a miracle to me could be like meeting a new friend who ended up helping me understand a perspective of something else that I needed. And I never thought it would happen through that person. You know, it's like, I don't literally mean I saw a ghost fly around. Um, a miracle is a shift in perspective. So it can be like, oh, I finally realized this. So I just wrote like good, basically good things um, that I did not see coming. Um, you know, uh, it wasn't like I bought myself a bracelet unless it was like I had no money and then, then this happened. And I bought myself a bracelet. So I just feel more contemplative and quiet on New Year's Eve. And so I watched The Post last night, which is a great movie and ha- ha- very feminist and makes me sad for journalism. I was like, God, you know, because I know that people today would watch it and go, well, why don't you like WikiLeaks? Then it's the same thing. And it's like, no, it's not. And also WikiLeaks is a Russian front and don't get me started. But the post is great. And I thought, oh God, here it's going to be one of those movies where I have to pause every five seconds because you know, I have the screener and I have to go to the theater. I've got the screener. So I, oh, I'm going to have to pause and Google this and Google that. It's very, it keeps it very simple. If you guys aren't familiar with the Pentagon Papers, it keeps it very simple. It's basically, it's very simple. So you won't be like, oh my God, I can't keep up with what it was. It was just basically like the Vietnam War has a history that's way before the war started. Each president in their own way lied about things, all of them, Republicans and Democrats. Everyone lied all the way up to it and during it. Uh, And Secretary of State McNamara was very conflicted and all that. But it's really about the relationships in Washington between like the press and the presidents and the secretaries of state and like, when do you report or when do you not? Cause it's your friend. Obviously you should never hold something in cause you're your friend. And that's kind of what happened in the movie. Um, and then Meryl Streep's character, you know, basically she's a woman who, whose dad ran the Washington post. And when he retired or died, it went to her husband and she, her character does this big speech. That's like, I, that's what I thought was normal. You know, like, if she'd been a man, it would have gone to her, you know? And so that did go to her and people were second guessing her and she had to make the decision about like print the Pentagon papers or don't. And at that, at that point, the Washington post was kind of a little local rag, you know, and then it became, uh, as respected as the New York times, like seen as a paper of notes. So it was very interesting and it's all true and it was great. So enjoyed that. And then I went to bed at like 10 30, 11. I'm like, I don't know what, it, what am I supposed to do? And then I was like, you know, I've never celebrated New Year's Eve. Like I really just, I've been in the company of others. I used to have a New Year's party at my old place with my ex-husband, like from six to nine. I'd be like, we're doing East Coast New Year's. Everyone out by nine, go do something fun if you need to, but there's no fun here. (laughs) I just, and everyone was like, oh, you only want to stay in because you're in a relationship. I'm like, no, I want to stay in all the time. Relationship, no relationship. Like I'm staying in. Back then, it was like, is there a cheese plate? I'm staying in. Now, not so much cheese plate, but, you know, I took an Epsom salt bath 
I put on a face mask, not like a Darth Vader mask, like a, you know, like a facial mask. And then I did, um, I drank a non-alcoholic Trader Joe's champagne, which is so good. Um, and I do drink the Cajal, but I just didn't want to drink last night. You know, it was like, again, like what I didn't, maybe I wanted to drink on Christmas Eve. So I did, but I didn't feel like drinking New Year's Eve. You know what I'm saying? My own person, people. Um, oh my God, I haven't even gotten to anything that I'm supposed to talk about on the podcast today. But, oh, I was going to tell you about the wackadoo customer service at this hotel. Oh yeah. Same, different year, same issues. But I couldn't believe it. I'm like, stop. They're texting you now. They text you now. Why are in the, let me know if you need anything. Like, why are you texting me? I'm overwhelmed as it is with, I don't know what, just a general feeling of being overwhelmed. Um, I will tell you that I did travel with my new toothbrush situation. I don't know why I say situations. Uh, Quip. I am a now faithful member and um, subscriber. And I'm going to tell you all about it because I know you're like, yeah, we know what toothbrushes are, but you got to understand. You people that like your electric toothbrushes, you don't need a big expensive toothbrush to get the oral care you need. Give, get the same refreshing clean with something simpler that'll give you the best brushing experience you've ever had. Start brushing better with the new, more simple and affordable brush that is refreshing the oral care industry. It's sort of like if Apple designed a toothbrush, but without the big price tag. And I have a really cool one. It's a rose gold color. I can't even. So I'm going to tell you about it. It's Quip. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to listen to me talk, but maybe as I'm talking, you might want to go to the website. Getquip.com slash fun. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash fun. F-U-N. Okay. The price point starts at $25 and the prices vary based on the handle you get and your plan selection. It is a wireless toothbrush. Now you can even subscribe to get new brush heads on a dentist recommended three month plan for just five bucks, including free shipping. That's what I'm on. It's backed by leading dentist named as one of Time Magazine's best inventions of 2016 They won a 2016 GQ Grooming Award, and they were on Oprah's 2017 New Year's O list. Go to Quip, get it, sorry, go to getquip.com slash fun to get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That is getquip.com slash fun. And it's really cool. It comes in really cool packaging and you can stick it on your mirror, which is what I've done. Um, you don't have to get new brush heads or toothpaste. Again, they're delivered right to your door. It's wireless mirror mount declutters your bathroom and it doubles as a travel cover. So it's an amazing travel companion. It is an inexpensive solution for people who want to make it easy to keep up with simple habits. Quip has been called the Apple and Warby Parker and Tesla of toothbrushes. Trust me, I use it. Getquip.com slash fun. All right, so folks. Yeah, so I check into my hotel and I'm like, first of all, there's barely any Christmas decorations up. And when I, there's not even a tree in the lobby. And this is like a fancy hotel. I'm like, um, what's up? And the guy taking you know my suitcase up to my room, he's like, well, you know, a lot of people aren't in the Christmas spirit this year. I'm like... You're a five-star hotel in Manhattan. Like, 
you got to have a Christmas tree up. He's like, oh, I don't think we do that normally. I'm like, yeah, you do. I've been here before. He's like, oh, it's my first week here. I'm like, all right, well then, what? He, he even said to me, are you sure this was the place you've been to before? I'm like, yes, I've, I've been here before. I used to come hang out in the lobby because of the decorations. He's like, oh. And then he tells me it's his first week. Like, bitch, I don't act like I don't know. You don't know. So then, okay, so then I check in. I can't even tell the story because it makes me want to rip my face off. Again, to new listeners, I know the disclaimer, there are terrible things going on in the world. This is a podcast where a comedian talks about the small stuff, you know, like Kevin James had a very funny stand-up special called Sweat the Small Stuff. Larry David, Jerry Seinfeld, they do Seinfeld, they do Curb Enthusiasm. It's a show about nothing, the little things. I'm not doing a podcast about Myanmar. I'm not, I'm doing a podcast an hour a week. The other hours of the week, I'm in complete fetal position texting senators, giving money to campaigns, helping the poor. I'm completely aware of the world. This is a podcast for one, once a damn week. We talk about the dumb shit. Okay. So before everyone gets all outraged, cause I'm still getting outrage emails from people that tell me to check this and check my privilege. Again, I told you guys I get my privilege checked every 3,500 miles. All right. So I check in the guys like we have wine. I'm like, I know, listen, I get that there's wine. There's wine in the lobby. Sometimes it's free. I see the bar there. That's very nice. There's wine. There's alcohol. No, but it's free in the lobby from this. That's great. I got just got off the plane. Very dehydrated. Not in the mood for wine. I'm not, a, I'm not an air travel drinker. I just don't. It doesn't make me feel good. I don't get it. I literally don't get it. I have two sips and I feel like I my mouth is the Sahara Desert. Because sometimes on takeoff, like... Um, you know, obviously sometimes I fly first class with my jet blue mint points or in showbiz, sometimes they have to fly you first class. And then also like I have so many points. I don't ever buy first class outright, but when I'm in it, they're like, do you want a champagne or something? I'm like, yeah. And I have two sips cause it's fun. And then I'm like done. Just, anyway. So I'm like, no, thank you. No wine. He's like, so as I'm like about to go in the elevator, he's like, anything like, do you want like a, a tea kettle brought up to your room? I'm like, that would be great. I'm like, you mean those electric ones, right? You pour the water and you plug it in. He goes, yeah. I go, oh, I always request one anyway. When I go to a hotel, that would be amazing. He's like, we'll send it right up. So that's at three o'clock. I'm like, great. 310, 3.30. It's not there yet. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to give a call down. Someone else answers. Hello, baby. Boo, boo. I go, Hey. And I say, I'm, is the tea kettle coming up? I'm like, what? You want a cup of tea while there's room service? Oh, no, no. I checked in. The guy said they were going to send up a tea kettle. Do you know his name? I'm like, I don't remember his name. I'm sorry. Uh, I actually don't. I'm sorry. I don't even know if he told me his name. She's like, okay. I'm like, look, the, he suggested it. I'm just saying. Do you know where he is? Like, is I, I checked in. There was one man behind the front desk. She's like, oh, that's Gabriel. I'm like, okay. Where's Gabriel now? She's like, oh, he's helping someone. I'm like, tell Gabriel to give me a call back. Okay, he never calls back. Now it's four o'clock. I call back downstairs. A different person answers. I go... Hey, when I checked in, Gabriel recommended maybe a hot tea kettle and they never brought it up. So I'm just wondering. And they're like, what's that? And I'm like, a hot tea kettle? And they're like, we don't have a microwave. I'm like, no, a hot. Okay, so I had to explain what one was. So then I'm like, look, I have to be somewhere at 530. I'm going to take a shower and lay down for a minute. I'm afraid that when I'm not afraid, but if I'm in the shower and someone knocks, they're going to walk away with the tea kettle and this is going to go on for hours. 
Can they leave it outside the door if I don't answer? It just means I'm in the shower. She's like, absolutely. She's like, now let me even see if we have any. I'm like, you have them. He offered it. I'm like, I can't even. It finally came at 530. And they were like, is this what you wanted? I'm like, listen, I'm just to be really clear. I didn't even say I wanted it. It was offered to me. And I said, yes, I would. Just forget it. Just forget it. And, almost, and, and I never used it. I swear to God, out of spite, I never fucking used it. Is that mature? No. So then I leave day one at 10 a.m. I go do my friend Judy Gold's podcast. And I love her so much. You have to listen to her podcast. It's called Kill Me Now. She's amazing. I'm not on it for a couple more weeks, but listen to it anyway. Um, she interviews Dick Cavett in one of them. That's an amazing episode. So go find it. Kill me now, Judy Gold. One of my favorite comedians of all time. She was a big hero to me when I started out in New York. I mean, she still is, but I'm just saying like, when people are like, who are your favorite comics? I'm like, well, they're amazing and they're killers, but you don't know who they are. Not that she's not well-known, but you know what I mean? They just want you to go, I like Bubba Bubba. I'm like, who's that? I don't. Okay. Anyway, so I come back to the room at six. Housekeeping never came. I didn't have the sign on the door. I don't even put the come in sign because I think people glance quickly and think it's the other sign. I put no sign. Never came. I called on Sarah. So like, oh, I don't know why. I go, I don't know. Is it my room's in a corner? Because maybe. I go, I'm joking. It shouldn't. I go, my room is in front of the service elevator. First of all, I go, if you run a hotel, you shouldn't go, oh, housekeeping didn't come because your room's in the corner. I go, I was joking. She goes, oh, okay. Okay. So then it's fine. I mean, it's only my first day there. I clean up. You know, when you're in a hotel, there's just something about coming back and you're like, oh, magic. It's clean. Um, hey, I left a tip and someone didn't get one that day. Okay. So the next day I have the sign on the door until about noon because I go out late that night and I sleep in. Noon is not crazy late for New York City and for a hotel. Phone rings at 12. They're like, hi, we just want to let you know that your do not disturb sign is on. I'm like, yeah, I know. They're like, well, if you want housekeeping today, just let us know. I'm like, yeah, I was going to. They had of it until 9 at nine p.m. at that hotel. So I knew that already. It's like, if the do not disturb sign is on, the calling is also the disturbing. Does that make sense? Like, don't disturb. I could see if three days went by and it never came out, you might want to call and see if I died. But it was, there was so much, co- then there's texting, Gabriel, how's your stay going so far? What does that even mean? Why are you texting me? There was texting, there was calling every second. I know you're like, Jen, this sounds normal. I can't explain it to you. It was like every time I was like, ah, I'm going to finally fall asleep. Something would happen. The phone would ring. Someone knocks on the door. You want ice? I, there's no, there's ice outside. It's 20 degrees. I was just so annoyed, but, but every time I did want something, it was like, what? It was like a whole, and I knew, I knew, I says to myself, I says, they have free coffee in the lobby till 11. I went down at 10 one day. I go, I know that this is empty and that because it's done in an hour, they're not changing it. I knew it. I said, the thing empty. So this is empty. They go, oh yeah, well, service is done in an hour. An hour is a long time. It's not like service is done about everything. I know you're like, Jen, this isn't a big deal. You just had to be there when I got four texts from the guy downstairs. Like, how's your stay so far? Please rate it on a scale one to 10. No, 
No, I will not. That's the most boring story I've ever told. And I actually am not just saying that. Um, okay, so a listener wrote me an email saying he made up I seem fun slang. He said, nuance sense. He said, it's supposed to sound like nonsense and be close to it in meaning. Nuance sense. A thought definition, a thought process or explanation that seems nonsensical and scattered in explanation, but actually has many layers in meaning. Well, thank you. That's from Timothy. I like it. It's I seem fun slang. Nuance sense. Um, okay. We have a potential love story here. A missed connection, everybody. Ooh, ooh. This guy sent this to me months ago. I'm sorry. I just got around to reading some of the emails this week. Okay. This is a beautiful story. And in my mind, the girl is interested in him, but I could be wrong. Sometimes I'm just really nice to people and they might think I'm interested. I don't know. So far, I have not been interested in a goddamn soul. Not a soul. And don't even try it. Literally nobody interests me. Okay. Hi, Jen. You can use my name. I went to your Vancouver show over the weekend. First time seeing you, longtime fan. Thanks for coming back to Vancouver. I'll definitely see you again in the future. Okay, great. Sorry, I didn't. Reason I'm emailing is I went to the show by myself, which again, a lot of people do, everybody, which I do with a lot of live events. There was a beautiful lady who sat beside me who was there by herself as well. Not sure if you want to use her name. Well, I feel like I should have. This is a misconnection. I'm going to use it. Alicia. We were sitting front row on the right side of the venue. We started talking and getting to know each other a little bit. At the end of the show, instead of asking her for her number, I started leaving. Yeah, see, that's one of those things is sometimes I just want to be a person. And when I talk to a guy, sometimes what's going through my head is this is so cool. This guy is treating me like a human and not a potential date. We're talking and then we're going to go our separate ways. And that was all it was supposed to be. Just two humans connecting. And sometimes if I get asked out after moments like that, I get angry. I go, oh, he was seeing me as an object the whole time. Oh, he can't even talk to a woman and not think she needs to belong to him. Oh, but then I can also, reading your letter, see it from your side where it's like, that would be a cool way to meet someone. Like you talk to them and then you take a chance and ask them out. Like, you know, if I met someone, like I think, well, no, that... Again, like even just thinking about sitting next to someone and talking, then ugh. again, I'm completely closed off right now. But but I know what you're saying. Like that's a really, you know, you're not on an app. You're not, I think it's a great way to meet someone. But at the same time, I can see where a woman would be like, ugh, it's not you. It's just that everything we do, guys think we're signaling to them and we're like, we're just at the grocery store. Okay. So anyway, let me just finish reading because let's just throw all the shit away for a minute and just think of how nice this could be if it were a real love connection that was missed. Okay. At the end of the show, instead of asking, okay, I was a little off that day. So I was having a tough time reading her body language to tell if I should ask for her number. Guys, you can't read our body language. Don't try. That's where it gets weird and offensive. Like we could literally be touching you, touching our chest, crossing our leg toward you. Doesn't mean anything. Don't try to read body language because it gets into that weird entitlement area. And I know you're saying, You're trying to look for a subtle signal so that you don't offend her by asking. 
Instead, look for subtle signals that she's not interested. Don't look for ones that she is because you have no idea what those are. I promise you. All right. Anyway, sorry. I said I would not keep interjecting. I can't stop. Okay. Halfway out of the venue, I noticed my keys weren't in my pocket. So I turned around and headed back to where I was sitting. And on my way back, I saw her walking out and made eye contact and told her I lost my keys. She came back to the seats with me and we couldn't find them. Hmm. She mentioned she overheard someone say they found keys, so we went to the concession area and one of the employees at the Rio had my keys. We, he- we headed out of the venue. I thanked her for helping me out and we said goodbye. Again, another perfect opportunity to ask her for her number, but I didn't and we went our separate ways. I'm not expecting anything. I've been single for a year and I am enjoying it. So this is where you come in. I don't know if she listens to your podcast. Well, if she doesn't. She's not worth your time. But I was hoping that maybe if you brought this up, she would hear it and she could contact you. Then we could connect. If not, then it wasn't meant to be. And I'm fine with that. Just thought I'd give this a shot. I'm okay if you don't want to mention it as well. I know you have better things to do. Oh, hey, I have nothing to do. Thanks for the laughs, Jamie. Jamie, I love it. And I hope it is a love connection because I think it's a fun way to meet. Alicia, if you're out there and you remember this and you were interested, email me, iseemfun at gmail.com. And I promise I'll check the emails before both of you die. I mean, okay, great. Okay, so now in other relationship news, in relationships ending at my shows, this is the guy who came to my Christmas show at the Hollywood Improv who is gay and was dating a man who he found out was a Trump supporter and then they broke up. So he emailed me the whole story and it's a good one. You guys want to hear it? Other people's business. Say it with me. We are nosy. All right. So here we go. And I, I don't know if he, I'm not going to say his name because he didn't say I could or couldn't, but thank you for letting us be nosy. Hi, Jen. So as you know, I tweeted you telling you that because of your show, I found out the guy I had been seeing was a secret Trump supporter. I just wanted to share the actual story because it's hard to do in 140 character increments. So we're both gay males of similar age. I'm 23. He's 24. He's half Mexican, but totally just looks white. We met online and had gone on a handful of dates. Once to a drag show, I tricked him into going to out to dinner a couple times, drinks and our final date, your show. Things have been going okay, and the night of your show actually seemed like something special. We were both really having a great time, and I started having the, oh, this could be something thoughts, but I'd also been drinking. And that's just the magic of the Jen Kirkman Christmas show. Everything is special. (laughs) Um, There wasn't much political humor in your show, but the little bit there was seemed to make him uncomfortable. Nothing really super physical. His energy just switched. After the show, we drove around Pasadena looking at the mansions decorated for Christmas, sharing stories and kind of growing closer. Hope you weren't drunk driving there, buddy. At one point, he made a comment about how he wished Joan Rivers had still been alive during the election because we would have gotten some great commentary out of her. Everyone says that. Would we have? She wasn't really a political comic. I countered that although I wish she were still with us, I'm quite glad she doesn't have to suffer through this shit show with us. He almost argued that Joan and Donnie were friends. I said, I'm sure a lot of that had to do with context, and I'm doubtful she would have tolerated the person he is today. He again argued, well, Joan was a Republican. Now, let me just interject here. Her agent has promised me 
that they don't believe she would have voted for Trump. Although Trump did give us her resurgence into fame for being on The Apprentice. I mean, it sucks, but he's responsible for that or the show or whatever. She is friends with some of the Trump family. Trump was at her funeral. Again, I sat. He was five rows back. Loser. I was in the row with all the QVC people. Only, only to be out sat by Howard Stern, who was in front of me in his own row with Beth and then Melissa and the kids on the other side. So Donald Trump, you loser. Believe me, I had a better seat. Anyway. But she was friends with, you know, the whole New York City fancy society people. Like, she was part of it. And she was a Republican in some ways. Uh, I think she would have been horrified at the socially unliberal things Trump is doing and letting the Republicans do. She was really only just obsessed with money. It was like, although weirdly, she was the most financially generous person. But it was like, let's make money. Let's keep money. Let's get money. You know, but I don't think she she would, this would have been ridiculous to her. Anyway, uh, I don't believe she would have called herself a Republican. No, he again. Okay. I dropped it. There was absolutely no sense in getting any deeper into something so stupid. Not too long after he pulled up to my place and I point blank asked, are you a Trump supporter? He said, I don't talk politics with friends. I said, that's a cop-out. Are you a Trump supporter? And he said, is that a problem? And I said, it is. We argued back and forth about the topic, and it became glaringly obvious that he truly was one of them. I said, you know what? I'm going to leave on this. The last time we hung out, we had a conversation about how you can tell so much about a person by the company that they keep. Given that you have chosen to align yourself with someone who has made a point to prove he doesn't give a shit about our community, as well as the communities of various backgrounds and experiences Uh, 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 the communities of the people of various backgrounds and experiences that I've chosen to surround myself with. I'm sorry, but I don't want anything to do with you. He said, well, then I guess I'll see you around. And then like in a movie, I got out, leaned my head in and said, I really hope not and closed the door. (laughs) Now I had been feeling bad about this for a couple days. I didn't want to be one of those divisive crybaby liberal snowflakes. But after thinking about it for a few days, I truly believe I made a the right choice. I'm of the opinion that being a good person and being a Trump supporter are in most cases mutually exclusive. I don't really believe one can be both. And this experience put into focus how much I believe in surrounding myself with positive people and not having to merely tolerate those in my company. The end. Well, I do agree um, that this notion of tolerating anyone that you don't want to spend time with. We don't have to do that. If you're related to them, you, that is where, that's just what tolerance is for. Situations you can't undo. Um, or even workplace, if it's not harassment. But dating, you absolutely have to respect the person. And if you don't respect their political beliefs, you just can't respect them. You know, um, and even if it was just sex or something, like you don't want that. So good for you. And if anyone wants to write to our friend and tell them their opinion, uh, I seem fun at gmail.com. So I have like 35 things from people who wrote to me their favorite things about holidays 
And I feel really bad that I never got around to reading them and people took the time to do it. And a lot of people were so into it. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to read an inspirational article for the new year. And I'm going to end the episode with the last of the straggling I seem fun holiday emails. And at that point, if you're not interested, you can turn it off. And, and that's what we'll do. How does that sound? Um, I read this article that I didn't know about that I thought was so fucking cool. And ah, do you remember those Dos Equis ads? The, the man, the older gentleman who played the most interesting man in the world. He wrote this article about how he became friends with President Obama. Now, it's not if you hate Obama, it doesn't matter. You'll, you'll still like the story. It's about really just getting a second chance in your career after you've like gone totally bankrupt and, and just sort of like living life. And so I think it's a positive story for 2018 and for any time. But if you're someone who makes those kind of new year's resolutions, but what you want to accomplish, just remember if you stay open to things, that life will have way more for you than you ever even dreamed, and it's never too late. <clears throat> so that's why I really loved this article. Um, so I'm going to read it to you. Um, it's in Politico magazine, so if you go to politico.com, I'll post the link um, when I put this episode up. How's that? And I'll post the link. How about this? I'll start in 2018. I'll be really on top of it. And I'll post the link to my 10% happier episode. How's that? Because I mentioned that. Um, Oh, and I mentioned the link to Judy Gold and Dick Cavett. Okay. All right. So the guy himself wrote it, uh, I think. I don't even know. Okay. Um, how the world's most interesting man befriended the world's most powerful man. A beer commercial icon became an unlikely pal to the president of the United States. It stayed interesting by Jonathan Goldsmith. Damn, he said in a half hushed whisper, this guy's good. I could hear President Obama as he walked up the path behind me and spied the multiple arrows I had placed undetected in the bullseye. I waited until I could sense him close by. Then with the casual swagger that had become my calling card, I turned and feigning annoyance delivered the line I had prepared. What took you so long? Obama, recognizing me immediately, clapped his hands together and doubled over in laughter. There's no way he could have been as happy and amazed as I was to be there. It was August 2011, and the most interesting man in the world, the absurdly debonair character I played on the Dos beer commercials, had become an international cultural phenomenon. Finally, after decades of trying to break through in Hollywood, I was a recognizable star with my meme-ready line, Stay thirsty, my friends. The character's nearly mythical traits, recounted by a narrator in a nearly endless string of deliciously funny one-liners, his personality is so magnetic, he is unable to carry credit cards, and he once had an awkward moment, just to see how it feels, had generated a cult following. I had millions of fans all around the world. One of them happened to live in the White House. 
Hang on one sec. I'm getting something. <laughs> hold, hold, please, everybody. Sorry. All right. The president and I had met earlier that year at a fundraiser in Vermont when he was just preparing for his re-election campaign. He had impressed me with his encyclopedic recall of the outrageous escapades of my TV character. Still, I was more than surprised when I later got a call from one of his deputies. Would I like to be part of a special surprise for the president's 50th birthday celebration at Camp David? Ten of Obama's best friends, most of them people he had known as far back as high school, were on the list. And me. All top secret. Life didn't get any more interesting than this. Would I like to come? You bet I would. Sorry, hang on. Camp David was quite a change of address from where I was living only a handful of years earlier. One day in late fall of 2005, I woke up in the camper of my 1965 diesel pickup and looked around the campground high above Malibu. All the tourists were gone and I had the place mostly to myself. I put on my sandals and walked over to the changing station to wash up. Inside the drafty bathroom, I made my way to the showers, turned the lever, and waited on the cold cement floor in bare feet for the hot water to kick in. It never came. Shit, I thought. What luck. A big audition today, my first in months, and I couldn't even take a hot shower. I had quit Hollywood in my 50s after a lengthy but mostly forgettable career in television. I started a marketing company out of the very same pickup truck, and the project had become so successful, we had over 100 employees and netted more than $150 million a year. But after nearly a decade run, the company sank and split apart. I had no income, and the bills, attorneys, mortgage, and more had piled on me so fast, I was worried about bankruptcy. The feelings of panic and dread were overwhelming. How was I going to survive? I wondered if I could go back to acting, but I wasn't 23 anymore. I wasn't 35 or even 45. I was in my late 60s, past the age of retirement, and looking to start fresh in a world that was faster than me and hyper-digital. I was in survival mode, conserving every dollar. So instead of the comforts of a hotel before an audition, I had crashed in my pickup. I was living like a hobo. Maybe I really was a hobo, I thought, as I got dressed outside my truck for the audition. The sport jacket that I wore on special occasions was folded in the back with a camping stove and other gear. Sitting on the opened tailgate, I put on my pants, socks, and loafers. I thought back to my first days in Hollywood, hauling around industrial waste to earn a few extra dollars and changing into my suit in my garbage truck, which I also used to get around to auditions. Now I leaned in front of the side mirror with my razor, trimming a few spots on my beard line without shaving cream or water. After more than 40 years, had anything changed? I needed the job, but I wasn't sure how I would handle another disappointment at my age. I had fought so hard to break through over a 40-year career, and while I had befriended some of the biggest stars, my career was more of a footnote in the lives of people who had made it big. I had been Judy Garland's date. I was shot by John Wayne. I starred opposite Burt Lancaster. I worked on Broadway early in my career with Tennessee Williams and Elia Kazan. I shared the stage with Dustin Hoffman, with whom I often competed for roles in the early 60s. I even told him off once, saying I was going to make it and he wasn't. I never lacked for confidence back then, but I certainly did now. P.S. Side note, he probably is anyone's more talented than Dustin Hoffman. That guy, I've, I always said, it's a shit actor. And the harassment stuff came out, I was like, I told you. I told you something was off with that guy. It's a crappy actor. 
Go watch Midnight Cowboy and just go, oh, God, he's terrible. All I knew about the gig I would be auditioning for were a few scraps of information that my agent Barbara had told me over the phone. It was a commercial for a beer company, Dos Equis, a Mexican brand that ironically needed a boost in the Latino market. They were looking for a new spokesman. What specifically were they looking for? They want a Hemingway kind of guy, Barbara said. That's you. Was there any script to read? They want improv, she said. You can do any kind of monologue you want, but you have to end with the line. And that's how I arm wrestled Fidel Castro, she said. I couldn't believe the size of the crowd that was milling outside. The line of actors backed up around the block, perhaps 400 or 500 of them. Too much competition. I turned back to the truck and heard Barbara's voice in my head. You left without trying? You never know if you don't try. So I turned around. All the actors around me were far younger and Latino. Naturally, the advertising agency and production company would want a Latino to play the lead. This isn't worth the time, I thought. All these guys look like they're going to play Juan Valdez. I'm a Jewish guy from the Bronx. Goldsmith, the casting agent called. It was finally my turn to take a seat in the illuminated chair in the center of the stage. No props. No one to throw you a line or even a smile. I could only see a camera mounted high on the wall, which was a live video feed back to New York. One moment, someone said from a speaker. I was annoyed at the entire operation, and sitting there waiting for the audition to begin, I decided to remove my shoe and sock. Maybe that would get their goddamned attention. The speaker came on again, and this time it was the director. I see that you took your sock off, he said. Why? Somewhere in that moment, it all hit me. I had everything I needed. I had been preparing for this role my whole life. I had almost died at sea and on a mountain. I had been caught naked on the freeway in Los Angeles and had debunked a miracle worker in the Philippines. Just make them laugh, I thought. And that's when I began channeling my late friend, Fernando Lamas, mimicking his Argentine accent and sentence structure. I probably would never have even had a chance for the role if it hadn't been for my good friend, Fernando, or Fern, as I called him. Lamas was the epitome of the movie star. He was a product of invention, and the inventor was him. He had this intense energy. He could be crude and fearless. He was, after all, a middleweight boxing champion in Argentina, a country famous for its machismo. We spoke about everything, but what I remembered most were his tales of female conquests. I was in awe of this man's ability to seduce the world's most beautiful women. I had been hungry, too. I had a lovely dalliance with one of Groucho Marx's wives and the wives of two congressmen, both Republican. I broke the bed of Henry Fonda's mistress. The most beautiful woman of them all? Tina Louise. She was Ginger, the stranded movie starlet on Gilligan's Island, the object of millions of men's fantasies. We'd met at the actor's studio. She had such stamina, I was afraid I wouldn't have... I was afraid I'd have a heart attack. I even thought about my obituary... Unknown actor found dead at young age. Surely I'd be mentioned by name this time, though. I summoned all of that history and Fernando's playfulness and faux nobility and my own not unremarkable escapades as I crafted a persona that would become famous for his comically outlandish exploits. Don't you peoples know, I said indignantly to the director's question about removing my sock, this is what's called an icebreaker. See, amigo, you asked me, didn't you? Inside the booth, I could hear the echo of laughter. Tell us about your life, he said. When I was a little boy, I wanted to be a hunter. I used to hang around in Abercrombie's gun room and look at these beautiful animals. I even made and hand-loaded my own bullets. And that's what I wanted to do, until I discovered Lucy. Who's Lucy? the director asked. 
Well, Lucy was a beautiful girl in the sixth grade, and I had a fancy for her. So what happened? You know what happened, I said. I was an early starter. I could hear the agency people failing to stifle their laughter. I had them. So how did you meet Fidel? Well, if you peoples let me finish, I tell you. It was through Che. Che Guevara. You know him, right? Really? How did you come to know Che? I ride with him. I let him borrow my motorcycle. He wanted me to date one of his younger sisters, for her to be introduced to being a lady by someone who knew what he was doing. I was honored. You were that good? You know, you must read the newspapers in those days. The word, it traveled fast. On and on I went, all the while panic-stricken that my parking meter on La Brea Boulevard was running out and my pickup was going to get towed. And Fidel? And Fidel heard about me, so he challenged me to a duel. He wants to get the pistols. I told him, Fidel, we can get the pistols if you want, but no sense in hurting ourselves. How about we play chess? It's painless. He agreed. I let him win. He gets very upset. He wants to beat me fair, he says. And that's how I arm-wrestled Fidel Castro. Time went by, and I nearly forgot about the audition. But then I was called back. He was terrific, the casting director told us. There's just one problem. They want someone younger. Foiled again, I thought. Barbara, my agent, was furious. That doesn't make any sense at all, she responded. You can't be interesting if you're young. Months later, I was in an L.A. studio speaking the line, Stay thirsty, my friends. Even though I wasn't a lead in a major motion picture, the popularity of my character and the dozens of commercials on television and online offered me some incredible experiences, including seeing my image on the sides of buses, on billboards, in cardboard cutouts. Once I was at a restaurant in Los Angeles, and I noticed a man approaching me, tall and imposing. He hesitantly and respectfully asked, "'Could I get a picture with you?' It was Michael Jordan, maybe one of the biggest celebrities ever, and he was asking me for a photo op. On another occasion, Leonardo DiCaprio, like a wide-eyed kid, crossed a restaurant to shake my hand. Less than a month later, I was in that same restaurant and had the same thing happen to me, only this time with Jennifer Lawrence. You're the most interesting man in the world. Hey, if she said so. I've also been able to use my celebrity for good. I've worked with the Mines Advisory Group, an organization that removes old but still active landmines and bombs in the jungles of Vietnam, Cambodia, and other parts of the world. I work with Caring Canines, a service dog organization. With Willie, my Anatolian shepherd, sorry, I don't know how to say that, who's certified for service by my side, I visit local old age homes in the VA hospital. I'm proud, I'm the proud chairperson of Make-A-Wish Vermont, which helps lift the spirits of children suffering from debilitating disease. The question I get asked most, why do you think the Dos Equis commercials were so successful? My answer, I think they make people smile, even apparently the leader of the free world. The first time I met President Obama, I was part of a welcoming committee in the state of Vermont, where I now live. He was just starting his run for the presidency, his second run for the presidency, and we were invited to be in a greeting line of about 200 people. Barbara, my agent, who is now my wife, was right when she predicted he would recognize me. Obama is a huge sports fan, especially the NBA. At the time, the Dos Equis commercials were all over ESPN. Our 10-second photo op turned into a several-minute conversation. Still, I thought, this must be a setup. Someone has to be playing a joke on me, and they had prompted him with information. But when Obama mentioned that he loved a New Yorker article about me and quoted from the commercials, I knew he was being sincere. I drove home feeling as if it was a dream. The President of the United States is interested in me, the imaginary most interesting man in the world. It was later that year that I got a call from the White House inquiring whether I would like to be Obama's surprise birthday guest. The Secret Service picked me up at Reagan National Airport, and a few hours later, I was at Camp David, the president's private retreat. 
Obama had been told there was going to be a surprise guest, and apparently he was very curious. Frankly, I would have thought they'd choose George Clooney, who was not only a huge movie star, but also a good friend of Obama's and a fundraiser for the Democratic Party. I just hoped the president wouldn't be disappointed. As I waited for the festivities to begin, I was given a private tour of the grounds. The compound reminded me of Brant Lake, a summer camp I attended in the Adirondacks, where the scions of the Shmata, also known as the garment industry, sent their children and where my pop was head counselor. I met the president's dog, Bo. I saw the very chairs on which Stalin and Roosevelt sat and the table where the Camp David peace accords were negotiated between Israel and Egypt. The sense of history was overwhelming. My God, I thought, how did I get here? I was having that same dreamlike feeling from a few months earlier in Vermont. There was to be fun and games all weekend, sporting events like bowling, riflery, and of course, archery. It was like a decathlon designed to satisfy the president's love of friendly competition. How different would it be if there's a female president? We're having Manny Petties. Anyway, I watch while Marine One, that would be me, by the way. I'm not saying females like Manny Petties, but they do. I watch while Marine One, the president's helicopter, landed with his pals. But the staff kept me out of sight in the fire station. I was then whisked, whisked ahead of the president's party to the first event. Three targets set up about 30 yards across a vast green lawn. I got in a little practice. It brought back memories of Brant Lake and the time that my father, trying to spook me, secretly wedged an arrow in a tree and whispered, this is Indian country. I was told the president was about to arrive. Wanting to make a strong impression, I quickly picked up five or six shafts and went over the target and stuck them together in a tight cluster near the bullseye. William Tell couldn't have done it better. Then I went back to the shooting position and stood with a bow and a single notch shaft, admiring my work. Soon I could hear the president coming with an aide. It was the start of two unforgettable days at Camp David and the beginning of a special friendship. After I was revealed as the surprise guest, I posed for some photos with the Secret Service and other presidential aides and staff. And by the time I got to the small dinner party, I noticed there were only two seats left, one by the door and one next to the president. He motioned for me to come sit next to him. Just as in Vermont, he seemed genuinely interested in me. He talked about the campaign and how much he really liked it, and I felt so comfortable with him that I called him Barack. Somehow calling him Mr. President didn't seem right. Later, we smoked a cigar with some of the other guys. He told me I could use his personal pool. Here he was, facing such immense pressure, sending soldiers off to war and dealing with so many national crises. I think somehow hanging out with the most interesting man in the world was a respite. At one point, I asked if it would be okay to quiz him on some serious issues. Everybody else does, he responded gamely, so go ahead. I asked what he thought would happen in Syria, where war had just broken out. I asked him why he didn't attend the NAACP convention, for which he was criticized. I asked him why relations seemed to be so strained with Israel. He was honest and direct with his answers, even brutally so. But while I might kiss and tell what he confided, sorry, but while I might kiss and tell what he confided in me, I will never reveal. I met Barack two more times, once at the White House Correspondents' Dinner in 2014 and once in the Oval Office when I was asked to have lunch at the White House by his personal photographer. Unfortunately, the day before our scheduled meeting, there was the terrorist attack at the Charlie Hebdo office in Paris. Hebdo office in Paris. I was sure the lunch would be canceled as I assumed the president would be preoccupied. The lunch was on, however, but I was informed that for obvious reasons, the president would not make an appearance. After lunch, the photographer asked if I would like to see the Oval Office. I jumped at the opportunity. Suddenly, the doors swung open and energy filled the room. It was the president. What are you doing here? He asked with mock seriousness. I came to give you this, I said, thinking fast, reaching into my jacket pocket and producing a cigar. Thanks, he said. I came to give you this. It was a little blue jewelry box inside were gold presidential cufflinks. 
I pull them out from time to time. I wonder if they're real gold, but I never would have them appraised. I already know their value. As I was leaving the Oval Office, it all seemed so unbelievable. I couldn't help but chuckle to myself. Me, an icon of international fame? More like me, the one-time garbage truck driver chumming around with the leader of the free world. There are many lessons in my fantastic journey. As I approach my eighth decade, with more fans and adulation than I could ever deserve, I can say with certainty that to be interesting, you have to be interested. You can watch the parade that is life and live vicariously through others, as many do, or you can get in and participate in your own journey. And the best time to go for broke is when you're already there. Oh my God, I just hope that was inspiring. And of course, as I'm reading, in the back of my mind, I'm making an executive decision. Oh, what? Oh, okay. Uh, I'm like, I don't want to read the rest of this stuff. It's an hour 15 potty. And it's just too much to read. So everyone who emailed me their favorite things, I'm sorry for those of you who didn't make the cut. I literally got like hundreds of emails. I never expected so many. I hope you don't think I'm a jerk. Um, <clears throat> if anyone is like, I really wanted you to read mine, you can write me. I seem fun at gmail.com and I will. But I did read all of yours. I just didn't read them out loud. Thank you guys for participating. Welcome to the new year. Who knows? Who knows? Until next week, have fun.